we're, we've been on the topic of prayer. Last week we saw how, how a great translation of the Lord's Prayer that Jesus taught us is our Father who is in the heavens, meaning everywhere. He permeates all things, the atmosphere, the room here, the, the cosmos, the, the home of God that we often think of as heaven with the angels. And we saw that God's always near. So when we pray... We never have to wonder if our prayers are getting through to headquarters. You know what I mean? Because he is here. He is present. Now, we know this. We don't always get every prayer that we ask the way we want God to answer it, but we at least know that he's getting the information. And I told you last week one of my goals was to develop my prayer life more in this year. And if you've been doing anything for many years, even decades, it becomes sometimes difficult to move forward because... You kind of feel like you've looked at it from every angle and you've done everything. So you have to pray and you have to ask the Holy Spirit to give you fresh eyes to be able to see things you've never seen before, to think thoughts you've never thought before. Now, not outside the boundaries of Scripture, but the Word of God is alive. It's living. If you've ever been much of a student of the Word or read much, you'll discover that you can read a portion of Scripture and just get some great insight from it and read the same portion of Scripture a year later and get a totally different set of insights. Because it's, the Word of God is living and it's alive. And so we have to look at things in, in the confines of Scripture, the wisdom of God, and see things differently. One thing I discovered when I was looking at the Lord's Prayer is that it is primarily asking and requesting things of God. Now, there's some wonderful teachers who would say that's all prayer is. The prayer is 100% asking and requesting things of God. So if you said, well, what if I tell God how much I love him and how precious he is to me they would say well that's not prayer that's worship but what if i thank god for his mighty acts and, and mighty deeds well that would be praise they would say well i don't care to you know segregate it so much i think as we communicate with god i throw all that under the umbrella of prayer and our prayers may at times break into adoration they may break into praise they may break into worship they may break into requesting they may break into all kinds of things but we're communicating with god but one thing I did have to say is that as I looked at the Lord's Prayer and re-examined it, I saw that it really is a lot about requesting. I would have said that the little phrase, give us this day our daily bread, would be our requesting portion of the Lord's Prayer. But again, as you desire to look at something and see something through fresh eyes and look at it differently, I saw something different. So we'll look at that in Matthew 6, 9 through 13. Jesus is speaking. He's giving us a model prayer. This isn't a prayer that we have to pray word for word all the time, but it is a guideline, a model prayer. And so he says, when you pray, you've got to pray after this manner or like this. Our Father, we're, we're going to use last week's, who, who is in the heavens, our Father who is everywhere, hallowed or holy be your name. And then there's actually four asks in this passage. Ask number one. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I don't know if you ever thought about it before, but you're actually requesting something of God. You're asking that his kingdom come, his will be done in earth as it is in heaven. And the second ask is give today our daily bread. The third ask is forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And the fourth one is lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So as I was looking at the Lord's Prayer through fresh eyes, I went, wow, it really is about asking. It really is primarily about asking. So I want to contrast some things today that Jesus taught and modeled for us about prayer. Prayer, asking, requesting things of God. And the other alternative is to condemn. Now, I owe a lot of this instruction to 
you know, I call him my buddy Dallas Willard, whom I never met, and has gone on to be with the Lord, but he just was such a wise teacher. So today I want to talk about prayer. I want to talk about prayer, the aspect of prayer, of, as asking or requesting versus an alternative we have, and that's judging or condemning or shaming, and we're going to look at that. I'm going to touch on the topic of condemning. Now, I want to remind you our topic in general is prayer, but this is such an important part that we need to learn and see how Jesus did things. This is tough because we're challenged by Jesus not to condemn, not to judge, not to belittle, not to blame, not to guilt, not to shame. And so we start looking at that and we go, wow, then how am I going to get people to behave? You know what I mean? We've got to get people to behave around us. We've got to control them. And for the most part, I really mean this, for the most part, the people you want to control and get them to behave, you want them to do that because you love them and because you see their life spiraling downward and you say, I've got something really wonderful and I want to communicate it with you. And, I, and if I take out of your toolbox, especially parenting, if I take out of your toolbox anger and condemnation and blaming and shaming and guilt and judging, what's there left to you know, control the wild kids with? You know, what is there? Or not even only that, how about our classmates, our coworkers, our friends, our neighbors? Because most of the time, I really mean this, most of the time, our hearts are very good. We know we have this wonderful thing in Jesus that we want other people to experience and enjoy. And we know Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it to its fullest measure that you might enjoy life. So we want others to enjoy that too. So it's difficult to, to take those things out of our toolbox and yet still impact and influence people. So we're going to see how to do that. Now, I do want you to know, uh, by the way, young people here, you're living at home with your parents, and you, you feel like my parents are judgmental, or they're, or they're condemning, or they're shaming, or they guilt me, or do all that. First of all, I do want you to say this. This will take a little sting off of it. They do that. I'm very serious about this, because they do passionately love you. Now, their method may not be the best method, but at least their heart's right. They love you. And by the way, this topic today... I don't think I've ever taught on this before. And I know those of you who have been around forever saying, finally, he's got a new subject. Okay, well, yes, we're going to talk about something new uh, when it talks, we talk about condemnation here. And by the way, I hope I don't have to teach you this. The holier-than-thou, self-righteous, you disgust me, you know, God's not interested in you, that kind of condemnation doesn't belong anywhere in the life of a believer as we reach out to a hurting a broken world. But Jesus does some incredible teaching uh, that we call the Sermon on the Mount. And it's actually Matthews 5, 6, and 7 in Scripture. Matthews 5, 6, and 7. And as he approaches wrapping up the, the topics, and most of 5, 6, and 7 is all about how we deal with people, how we interact with people, how we want to control people, and he gives us advice on how to do life. In chapter 7, he starts out by telling us not to judge. Now, there is a righteous, holy, and proper judging that we are to do. And we'll talk about that briefly today. But the judgmental holier-than-thou thing is not cool. And so Jesus is talking about judging. And judgment has with it some companions. Generally, generally those companions are anger, condemnation, um, blame, guilt, all kinds of different things. And so we have to watch that and look at the com companions also to judging. And... When we look at this, we see how does God do things from what he teaches, and then we watch Jesus. This is a super revelation to me a few years ago, and, and maybe it's one you've known all of your life. But if you follow Jesus around, you get a real 
you know, the churchy word for it is a real theology, a real study or understanding of God by following Jesus around. Because Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I only do what I see the Father do. I only say what the Father says. So as we watch Jesus, we begin to get the heart of the Father. So Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, God in human flesh, and so we can watch him and learn a lot from Jesus. So we're going to look at both what the scriptures teach and what we see Jesus model, live out in his life. So most of us are familiar with John 3, 16. So we're going to look at 16, 17, and 18. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, and whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to what? Condemn the world. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. So we're seeing the heart of God here, the teaching of God. God didn't send Jesus to be condemnation. He sent Jesus to save the world. He wanted to save the world through Jesus. Then he goes on and says, whoever believes in him and Jesus is not condemned. But then it also says, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. The more I grow in understanding the scripture, the more I see that God has established principles in the world that we either get working for us or working against us. There's natural ones. Gravity is an interesting one I always use. Gravity is, is, is both a beautiful thing and a tough thing. Um, you know, thank God for gravity. We're not floating around the room in here because we have gravity. But if you've ever accidentally stepped off your roof, you find out gravity's not that beautiful of a thing at that moment because it worked against you. So you've got to keep things working for you. God says, world's broken. I sent my son to save it. And so there's this invitation to know Jesus. And when we know him, we lose all condemnation. When we choose not to accept the invitation of Jesus, it isn't that God says, oh my goodness, you disgust me. You did not receive my son. I condemn you. But our decision actually condemns us. That's what John 3, 18 is telling us. Then we look on at Romans 8, 33 through 35. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? Do you see what the next words are? No one. Who, who's going to condemn then? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of the Father and is also interceding for us. See, the power of that is oftentimes church people believe that Jesus is very condemning or that God's very condemning, but he's not. In fact, it says, just to make this plain, Jesus is not condemning you. What he is doing is he's interceding for you. That means he's praying for you. He's not condemning you. He's praying for you. He, he's got hope and belief and and he's trusting and calling upon God on your behalf. So he's not out there to beat you up. He's out there to see you win. So then we look at this. We see, how did Jesus live this out in his life? Now, you remember the story of the woman caught in adultery. I'm very serious about this. That story, I always find things in Scripture fascinating. This woman is caught in adultery. Now, adultery is sin for both the man and the woman. But they don't bring the man. And if she was caught in adultery, then i got to assume there was a man around. And, but the woman's the only one that gets brought into the situation. And these Jewish religious leaders bring this woman who says, Jesus, what should we do? The law of Moses states that she should be stoned to death. Now, the scripture says that Jesus, he knelt down and he began to, to write something or scribble something in the sand. So he's in a, a, some kind of, of kneeling position. And so he says, you're right, that's what the law of Moses says. This is my paraphrase, so let's get at it. Let's stone her to death. 
you guys say, I don't remember that translation, but you'll, you'll, you'll get it here. He said, let's stone her to death. So let's do this. You who has never broken the law of Moses, throw the first stone. Let's, let's get at it. <laughs> and so it says that they all drop their stones from the oldest to the youngest. And then Jesus stands up. We pick up on the story here. He's talking to the lady. And he says, Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Where are your accusers? Has no one, what? Condemned you. Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. That's just beautiful. Neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Now, most of the non-Christian world uh, loves Jesus. Even non-Christians love Jesus. Other religions love Jesus. Now, there are some Jesus haters, I understand. But they love a vision of Jesus that's incomplete. They love the story as long as you stop before Jesus says, now go leave your life of sin. Because the world likes to believe that whatever you want to do is okay, and let's not call it sin. But I've discovered this, and you will too, that the word of God may have a level here that says this is how we should live, and the word of God does give us codes of conduct and ways we should behave as believers. And then the world says, well, I don't want to live like that, but I want to live like this. I want to live beneath that standard, and I want a Jesus who supports that. But I really want to ask you this seriously. That level right there, they have a level, it may not line up with the word, but a level of, of morality and ethics at this level. And I promise you, because I've talked to many people, that if I give them scenarios down this level, they think that's disgusting, sinful, wrong, and awful. But says who? Well, says us. Because everybody has a level. Everybody has a line they draw on the sand. I don't care who they are, you have a line that you draw on the sand. And so we're very happy that our line and above is all acceptable. Below our line is unacceptable. But Jesus actually does believe that there's sin. Now, why does Jesus challenge us not to live and walk in sin? Because Jesus said, here is a purpose for which I came. It's not the only one, but it's one of them. That you might have life and enjoy it to the fullest measure. Who doesn't like that? That's what the whole world's running after. Is that not true? Everyone on planet Earth is running after enjoying life to the fullest. And Jesus says, I created life. I designed life. I know how life works. And that makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, if you're going to believe there is a Jesus who is the Son of God, then it would make sense he would know how to do life best. But then the enemy comes and whispers in our ears, don't do life that way if you really want to live. Do this. And so he entices us to all kinds of things that are what Jesus would call sin. Now, why does Jesus want to keep us out of sin? Because he's a giver of life. And if you study the scripture, you will find out this, that sin, in the end, produces, does anybody remember? Death. So if I want life, but here's something you do that's going to produce death, then Jesus says, stay away from that, because I'm a giver of life, and this is just going to produce death. Now, it may be fun for a while. I've often thought about doing this seriously, because we bring in people who have lived like Lucifer, and we get them up on the stage, and they tell you how Jesus gloriously saved them, and I get that and believe that. But I'm afraid that people in the audience hear, oh, well, I can go live however I want, 
and somewhere in the future after I've indulged my flesh in every sinful way, I will come to know Jesus and all will be well. I have a buddy that served God, backslid for about five years, became pretty crazy wild. If we brought him up here today, he loves Jesus, he's on fire for the Lord, he's going after God, and he will tell you that those five years of sin have left broken places in his life that are not yet fixed to this day. And he would tell you if he could wind back the clock, he would never do those five years again because although they were pleasurable for a season, they brought in junk into his life that he has to deal with passionately by going after God that were totally unnecessary. So I want you to know this. When you go after sin, it may be fun for a while, but in the end it produces death. And many of you are sitting here who could testify to that. You say, that's true. I went after sin, I went after flesh, I went after immorality, I went after drugs, I went after partying, I went after whatever, and man, I had the time of my life for a while. But then it left me empty and broken. And I love the verse that Darlene found out of Proverbs several years ago that says, uh, people make a mess of their lives and then blame God. We can't do that. So God is leading us towards not sin so we can experience life. So Here's this big moment here where Jesus says, I don't condemn you, but he's going to do something interesting. It comes in the form of a statement, but actually is a request. He's telling her, now go, leave your life of sin. He, he's not going to make her leave her life of sin. It becomes a request for her to accept his instruction. Now let's uh, look on at what's called the rich young ruler. This is a guy who discovers, you can read the story for yourself later, we'll touch on part of, this is a guy who's discovered something's missing in me, something's not right. I, I'm, I've been obeying religious rules, I've been trying to be a, a, a good kid, I've been trying to be a good guy, and he goes to Jesus and he basically says this, something's missing, what must I do to have eternal life? And he said, uh, you know the, the scripture, you know the law, keep the law. He said, I've been doing that since I was a kid. And Jesus didn't argue with him, so I assume that's correct. And he says, there's one thing you lack. There's one thing you lack. Sell everything you have, give it to the poor, you'll have treasures in heaven, and then come follow me. Hmm. Actually, that's the verse we're supposed to be reading. In verse 22, then it says, at this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around his disciples and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. I did miss a verse, and I want to go back to verse 21. Jesus looked at him and what? Loved him. Jesus wasn't condemning him. Jesus looked at him and loved him. And when you see this story, you don't see him condemning him. And as the guy walks away sad, Jesus doesn't condemn him. He doesn't rail at him. He doesn't call him names. He lets him go. So did Jesus condemn him? No, he did not. Did the guy leave condemned? I believe he did. I believe he left condemned by his choice. Not by Jesus, but by his choice. Here's an invitation. You have asked me. I've answered honestly, Jesus said. Here's an invitation to come follow me. I can't. I have too much wealth. That makes me sad. I, what was the problem? And by the way, there's, there's a lot of uh, rich bashing that goes on in the world now. And I just want you, first of all, I want you to know, when we, we always bash somebody who's richer than us. Did you know that? Because we're not rich, but those people are rich. But everyone sitting in this world is rich to most of the people on planet Earth. And so if we're going to rich bash, we have to look at our own selves and how we handle money. Jesus never told anybody who he met who was rich to do this except this one guy. 
that was the problem that this guy had. It's the old saying we say, it's not a problem to have money, it's a problem money has you. And so here, this guy was controlled by money. But many people who supported Jesus' ministry that were wealthy, uh, Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus was wealthy. He Remember that guy had to climb up a tree for the Lord he wanted to see because he was little? And uh, when he had an encounter with Jesus, he became a generous person. But Jesus didn't have to give him a bunch of things to do. He, he began to do it. So I believe the, the rich young ruler left condemned by his choice, not by, by Jesus. Now, here's some things to be aware of. And I don't have slides for these. So take notes or go back and listen to the message again at this point because these are important things. Because we're talking about a topic that you may have never heard a message on before. How do I operate outside the realm of condemnation, outside the realm of judging, outside the realm of guilting people? How do I do that? Well, there's some pitfalls. First of all, I want you to know, you need to be aware of this. It's very difficult. It's very difficult to push out of your life anger, blame, guilt, condemnation, judging. It's very difficult unless we learn the ways of Jesus unless we learn the ways of Jesus. The ways of Jesus are first learned in our mind. Right now, you may be hearing stuff you've never heard before. So you're intellectually receiving it. But then we process something that all of us people call our heart. You know, it gets processed in our being, our heart somehow. And then we begin practicing it. Now, anything you practice, you usually don't do well every time. But you develop a skill level over time because you've learned some things from following Jesus around and looking at the word how to avoid living a life that's full of condemnation. So it's difficult, but we have to learn the ways of Jesus. There's another problem. This is very, very difficult, especially towards those whom we love so deeply. There are people in your life you would die for, and they are the hardest ones to not, not implement these processes of controlling or changing their life. Very, very difficult. The reason it's hard is because I've had many conversations with strangers, you know, and we get on a spiritual conversation, I'll head them in the right direction in Christ, and then I'm gone. I may never see them again. They're not on my radar, you know, whether they respond or not, fine. Um, but the people we love who we would die for, you know, we want to do anything in our power to make sure they enjoy and experience the glory, the 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 joy, the happiness, the blessing of knowing Jesus. So we'll do anything to get them to do it. We, we might get angry at them at times. We might judge them at times. We might condemn them at times. We might shame them at times. And we're trying, we're pulling out every tool in the tool belt, trying to get them to go after God. But when you follow Jesus around, you notice that he never does that. He never defaults to condemnation, judging, ridicule, or blame. I think that's because he knows, guess what? It doesn't work. And we know at our core, it doesn't work, because if it did work, isn't this true? If it did work, everybody in our orbit would love Jesus, because we would use all these techniques to get him to do so. So it's very difficult for those that we love, because we would die for them, and we have such passion for them. Also, be aware of this. It is not being judgmental or condemning if you have a standard for your life or for your home, okay? Like, like for instance, she's not, but let's say Darlene was abusive. And there are women who are abusive, and every time we get in an argument, she hits me up the head with a stick or breaks something over my head, and I go, well, 
I guess I just have to put up with that because, you know, I can't be judgmental and I can't be condemning and I don't want to shame her and I don't want to blame her, so I just have to live with that. No, that's, that's wrong. That's inappropriate behavior. If one of your kids wants to set up a meth lab in their bedroom, that's wrong, okay? So I'm asking you to use some common sense. Don't say, well, you know, pastor said today not to be judging, not to be condemning, you know, not to be little, not to shame, so I guess we just have to let them do that. No, please use some good sense. These are pitfalls that can happen. Also, I want you to know that people will try to take advantage of you. People try to bully you by using this kind of stuff. I don't know if you've ever had this happen, but you, you have a standard, and people say, well, you just think you're all that. You think, I wasn't thinking nothing. I was thinking about what I was going to eat for lunch. I wasn't thinking anything like that. Well, you think you're all that, and you're this and that. You're just always judgmental, and you're always condemning, and, and Jesus wasn't like that. Jesus was loving. Jesus was kind. Don't you want to be like Jesus? Now, when they throw that in your face, let me ask a question. Are they throwing that in your face because they really want you to grow spiritually? I mean, they really are concerned about your love for Jesus and your walk with God and where you're going. No, what they're doing that is they're saying, I want to sin without your interference. I want to sin without you saying anything about it. I want, I want to sin and you just to be happy about it. But there is common sense. You just can't always encourage something. You know, you got a kid that comes home. How things go today? Great, Mom and Dad. I mean, normally at the corner when I peddle drugs, I only make about 2000 I made $5,000 today selling illegal drugs. We're so proud of you, Johnny. That's so wonderful. Thank you. We love your entrepreneurial spirit. No, we can't. You can't just say, that's wonderful. So you have to be careful. These are pitfalls that we can get into. And Jesus was so masterful at walking that fine line that we struggle with, but we keep growing and we keep moving forward in God. So... If I'm not going to blame, anger, condemn, how, how am I going to, and I'm not talking controlling people or manipulating people, how am I going to impact people? How am I going to make a difference in people's lives? Well, I'm glad you asked. We're going to look at that. We're going to see what Jesus did. Towards the end, again, of his sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, he's telling us not to judge. By the way, the proper way of judging, if, if you keep the scripture in context, because people often say, you'll find out that people, even Christians, but especially non-Christians, know little snippets of the Bible that they can throw at you to defuse you, and uh, they don't know the whole counsel of God. Well, you're just being judgmental. Well, the Bible says we're going to judge angels. I don't even know what all that means, but we're going to judge angels. So there is some kind of judging that we do. One time Paul said, I can't believe you're taking this matter before a secular court is there not anybody here who's spiritually mature enough to judge these matters? So there is such thing as, as judging. But the proper kind of judging is to make an appraisal or an assessment of something. So, now this is tough because some people are so broken or so hurting that even an honest, godly, wholesome, loving appraisal of something they take as condemnation. So we have to be very careful with that. You know the weather's been slippery outside. So let's say you've been sliding around all over the ice and snow. So you say, hmm, maybe there's something wrong with my tires. So you take your car into the tire shop. And guess what they're going to do? They're going to judge your tires. They're going to make an appraisal of them. They're going to assess them. And they may come out and say, the reason you've been sliding all over the place is because your tires are near bald. 
and they are not safe. Now, what did they do? They just judged a situation, but they weren't judging you. Now, I suppose you could be so broken that you say, so what are you saying? I, I, I'm not a good parent. I've been driving my child around with these bald tires. Oh, you think you're so smart because you've got great tires. Well, I guess you could go to that, but most of the time we know they're not condemning us. They're praising the situation and saying this is our problem. Now, again, we have to be careful because some people do hear everything as condemnation, and we have to do our best to assess and appraise properly. So what do we do? Well, here we loop back to prayer. In Matthew 7, 7 through 12, Jesus is wrapping up. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So Jesus has taken all this teaching and he's looping us back to prayer. And then we have the golden rule. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophet. What Jesus takes us to, instead of condemnation or having a judgmental attitude or guilting people and trying to get them to behave because it, ju it just doesn't work. Now, it sometimes works for a little bit. Uh, Larry Shelf and I were talking about that. Sometimes you can invoke fear on people and it gets them to straighten up for a little bit. But let me tell you what the scripture says. Fear brings torment. Fear is a motivator, but it's not a good motivator. And it's not the way God chooses to motivate. And so perfect love casts out fear. And so here... Jesus is bringing us into a place of prayer. He's teaching us the power of the ask or the power of the request. So here's what he's teaching, the power of asking. The first thing that we are supposed to do is we are to ask, seek, and knock to God. So we have people in our lives whom we want to see the trajectory of their lives change. That's fine. That's good. you got lost people. You should want them to know Jesus. In fact, it's something very challenging talking about prayer and how I'm challenging my own self in prayer, I read this and said, if today Jesus would answer every single prayer you prayed last week, would heaven have one more soul in it? I thought, wow. Did we pray for any lost people this week? Were the lost on our radar anywhere? And so... Jesus is telling us to ask, seek, and knock of God. Make a request on behalf of others. That's what interceding is. We're making a request on behalf of others. So we got loved ones, we got friends, we got family, we got coworkers and classmates. That the first thing we need to do is not just shame them into trying to obey God. We get our faces before God for them. We pray for them. We intercede for them. That's what Jesus did. He wasn't condemning, he was interceding. That's what the scripture says. He didn't condemn, he interceded. So he's modeling for us what to do. We're going to pray, we're going to ask, we're going to seek, we're going to knock. And then, something we don't think about, but we just saw Jesus do it, we can ask or make a request of others then. Jesus did. He showed love, he showed compassion, he showed kindness, and then he would make a request. Hey, I don't condemn you either. Now, go leave your life of sin. He's requesting people. He's trying to send them down a different path. We don't know whether she did or didn't. 
the story ends there. The rich young ruler. Hey, I love you. Here's what you need. I'm telling you the truth. And so he did tell the truth. The truth didn't make the guy happy. It made the guy sad. Jesus didn't change the message because it was the truth. And then what did he do? He made a request. He invited him into something bigger than he was. He said, here's what to do. Sell all that you have. Give it to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. The guy's face fell. He was sad. He had great wealth. He walked away. So apparently not even all Jesus' invitations get accepted. He walked away from being a follower of Jesus. But that's where we begin. I read a powerful explanation of something Jesus is going to go on to say in Matthew chapter 10. We don't have a slide for it, but Matthew chapter 10, you, you may have heard this verse before. It says, we're to be as wise as serpents and as gentle as doves. As wise as serpents and as gentle as doves. Now, high percentage of people aren't really into snakes and serpents. I mean, some of you here might be, but a high percentage aren't. There's nothing wrong with them, by the way, uh, although I don't really want to have one around my neck like I see people do and take pictures of. But anyway, that's just me. Maybe your thing. But one thing that this person explained about a serpent or a snake is they don't chase their prey generally. They lie in wait for the right moment to strike. Now, snakes flip you out. Okay, just think of a hawk. Have you ever seen a hawk? It'll be in a tree. It's watching something. And man, when it sees this moment, it's just, it just like... Have you ever seen that? I mean, it's just, they're like a, a bullet. They go down. When the moment's right, they strike. And so Jesus is telling us, be as wise as a serpent. Know the moment to make the request. Know the moment to ask. Now, every ask may not work. Every hawk that goes to catch its prey doesn't always catch it. But you keep waiting for the moment. And then it said, be as gentle as doves. You know why? Doves have no guile in them. They have no manipulation. I don't know if you know this. There are some birds that are mean. A dove's not one of them. A dove has no trickery in it. It's not trying to deceive you. It's just perfectly gentle and humble. And what a perfect pi picture for us. We want to keep that humble, loving, kind, non-manipulative spirit, but we want to look for the moment to make the request. To make the request. Ask someone, hey, would you consider leaving your life of whatever, immorality, crime, drugs, anger, rage? You know, the list can go on and on and on. Would you consider leaving that and following Jesus? And you know what? They may say no. But you know what else I know? The Holy Spirit is the great hound of heaven because he'll keep moving. And there'll be another opportunity. Some of you are here today not because you received Jesus on the first ask, you might have been asked number 10, 12, 15, 35, whatever. Uh, a guy wrote a book one time many years ago and said, he, I love the title, but there's even a better one. He wrote a book called, He's the God of the Second Chance. And I thought that's true. But he's also the God of the third one and the fifth one and the hundredth one and the thousandth one. He's the God that keeps on keeping on. So I want to encourage you this week. Think about your relationships with others. Think about those that you want to move in a direction towards Jesus. Think about how you have, have um, responded to them, how you've treated them. And I'm, I'm not asking you to drop your values. I'm not asking you. I'm, I am asking you to use some common sense about what's acceptable and what isn't. But I'm also asking you, what, what did we see Jesus do? What did we see the word of God teach? And the default is not condemnation. The default is not 
anger or rage. The default is not, I'm going to belittle you. The default is not, I'll shame you into behaving. And the default isn't any of those things. It is a default that, of course, he's always in the Father with prayer, but then to make the request. So our answer is prayer. Asking God and then asking others. Asking God and asking others. So as we get ready to pray, I want you to think about how you've been doing life with others. I've done a lot of soul searching myself. And I've used every wrong, every tool in the tool belt that I told you that was wrong, I've used it lots of times. Because you do want, and, and oftentimes with good motivation, but it's a system that doesn't work. So let's try Jesus's, which may not always work either, but it's the right system. So let's pray.